Kimberly here. This is Macabish, cults, classics, and horrors. We're talking films, series, books, and life, and we're starting right now. It was her first movie, though. It's her first feature. Yeah, um, I wonder why she didn't stick with horror, though. Like, I guess she just likes everything. I think so, because um, I noticed she's on some, uh, she's in some like comedy groups and stuff. Mm. So I think she's just like a movie lover. Yeah. So a lot of times it's easier to start off in horror too. Oh yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, you can get away with more with a lower budget. In horror, it doesn't always come across the same way. And it's much more forgiving. Like mm-hmm. if you tell a good, good, good enough story in a situation that's kind of sketchy, we might buy it. <laughs> like, okay, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was, visually, it was very well done. It kept me interested all the way through. I mean, it was short, which, you know, I don't think it, I'm kind of glad it was only like an hour and 20 minutes. If it had gone much longer, I think I would have lost interest. You know what it felt like to me? It was um, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know how they would go into the asylum and it had all this like new tape and stuff. There was like some strong Freddy vibes. Mm-hmm. Like I kept like waiting for it. The first time I saw it, I yeah. was like, "This is feeling like Freddy Krueger could come out at any moment." Okay. <laughs> I kind of wanted more in the asylum. Like I uh, like it was really interesting to me when they were looking at certain areas, like. Uh, when she's with her her imaginary friend and they're taping and there's mm-hmm. a there's a spirit or whatever the hell in the corner and she can fully see it and he's just looking at it like hey do you see that there that's kind of weird but like like things like that like those little mysteries would mm-hmm. i i would feel better if they were explored more right i can see that i think it might have been just like so much going on in this story certain people especially if they're not like us would just have been lost like what is going on what what is all this like is she crazy is she dead like what is this i think the only thing i really that really annoyed me was the entrails like i don't even know what that was but like get some link sausage or something. <laughs> get something that looks like meat at least. What was that? <laughs> it looked like saran wrap filled with jello. Yeah. yeah. Was that like, was my takeaway from it too. It's like, okay, so I, I mean I get it, your budget is very low, but you can buy like a pack of sausages from Walmart for three bucks. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Go to a slaughterhouse and get like some pigs and trails. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to touch any meat. I don't know. But that was like, come on, man. Everybody in the movie and working on the movie is a vegetarian. And not a single one of them wanted to touch meat. <laughs> that shit gets ranted, too. When you work with that stuff, it's yeah. like, you, know, you got to do it on the day you get it. Well, yeah. yeah like you I'm have not to saying <laughs> let it ride around in the trunk of your car. But, you know. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't have refrigeration, you've got it for like an hour, maybe two, and then it's done. Could have just could have kept them in that refrigerator. They were in the kitchen. Like, okay, grab the entrails. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still a little lost with the ending. I was like, uh, okay, so 
hold on. Did she, in case she was, she died when they were kids? They all died and they've been dead this whole time and they're ghosts? Or she sacrificed herself and she rewinded back to when she was a kid and the other ones got to live? Uh, yeah, that's why you have to watch it more than once. I had to watch it more than once. I was like, I don't know what just happened. Like watch that again. Like the girl that that got up at the end, she was like asleep or passed out or something, and then she opens the hatch and then sees yeah. her dead. Mm-hmm. Was that the girl that was driving them there? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's Edie. It's the Edie. same one with the short hair who was taking care of Derek. Uh, okay. All right. I thought like because I, I was I was used to her with the short hair, so I was like I forgot what she looked like at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that that was like a grown version of the religious one, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, the attitude was the same. That's how I kept track of her. I was like, wow. Okay. What confused me the first time I saw it was I'm like, so does she live with Edie? Did she actually drive there? Because she said, I'm tired of I'm tired of pretending. And I get it, because Jacob wasn't actually there. Mm-hmm. But um, I was like, but then she went to the hotel, back to the hotel. Iris did. And then there's a different lady, so I guess I understand. I didn't recognize her or anything. So I was like, wait, was she really there? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So there were a bunch of reasons why I had to watch that a few times. So Yeah. And that's that's part of what made me think that Iris was actually just with Edie the entire time. Right. And the whole thing was actually just playing out in her head. Right. Because they'd already established when she was like ten that she had very vivid imaginary friends. Right. So she could have a whole world. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you? If you have vivid imaginary friends. Why wouldn't you have a whole world built in your mind? Yep. But she wouldn't, though. She was dead, right? Well, that's, well, that's, I think, when she was a kid and, like, where they cut back at the end and you see her as a kid lying on the floor. I think as a kid, she had fallen and done something, like, either she was unconscious, she was comatose or whatever, and then when Edie is carrying her back, she's already in this imaginary world. So when she falls as an adult... That's basically just Iris has now passed away, was my take on it, which is why you then see Edie at the end with the spirits of all the kids, because she's able to now say, okay, well, now they have peace and they're still out playing the way they were when they were kids. Okay. That was my take on it. I gotta watch it again. Fuck. Yeah, I see. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's short. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but that's I'm thinking the same thing. Like, I'm going to have to watch it again. to see what else because i'm sure there are things that i missed right little hints and clues and stuff like that maybe i was a bit dismissive because if a movie can get you talking that much and questioning and making you rewatch it then didn't it do its job exactly exactly i feel like there's more to it than what's on the surface right and i really want to know what the significance of that really fantastic black light tiger painting was because she kept cutting to it and I could never figure out what it was there for. Good morning. Happy Chinese New Year. Oh, Yay. happy Chinese New Year. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Hi, Carlos. Thanks. Hi, Hi Elaine. Well, whereabouts in Canada are you guys in? Uh, we're in I... Ontario, near, near, <laughs> near Toronto. Yeah. Got it. 
ironically, we found out we're only about half an hour away from each other after getting connected on these chats through somebody in Texas. So it was the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Weird. You have to meet in real life eventually. Eventually, once everybody is out of lockdown and we can safely go out without having to risk death, then yes, definitely. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Elaine, we just wanted to hear, how did you get in the movie business? We want to hear the whole story. Well, Kimberly, um, great question. I would say for me, it was moving to Los Angeles that really helped me get into the industry. I was doing film work up in um, the Bay Area in San Francisco but I would say I didn't really get um, paid for my work until I moved to LA. Mm -hmm. Toronto, of course, is also another major place for um, movie work. So um, I, I would say you guys are actually, you have more stuff shooting over there right now. This is what I hear, yeah. But um, I think for me, it's, it's all about location. You just have to be in a place where there's work. Were you always passionate about film though, like growing up? Oh yeah, I mean, the Purgation, which is my horror movie, it's based on um, the first films I used to make as a kid, filming on my, you know, camcorder of my friends in this abandoned insane asylum. And I think for me, it was just, I loved making up stories and I had enough friends who were willing to be my actors. And That's play awesome. Yeah. Nice. nice. I love that. And so did you, and you started off acting first, right? Because... Looked at your IMDb page, and there's a lot of actors. Uh, there is. You looked at my IMDb page. It mm -hmm. is <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. a mess. I have like credits all over the place, from like being an editor to a casting director. Mm -hmm. um, but I think acting was something I got started in when I was in college up at UC Berkeley, and um, I joined this theater group called Theater Rice for Asian Americans, and we did uh, sketch comedy and improv. And I just I fell in love with being on stage after I joined that club. That's awesome. Is that something you're more comfortable with, uh, performing rather than directing, writing? I think they all kind of work together, um, especially since I do improv. You, you're essentially making up stories from the suggestion of one word, right? Mm -hmm. And so I use that when I when I write and also when I direct because you're you're telling stories with almost nothing. You know, you're you're taking thin air and trying to create some sort of entertainment, mm -hmm. right? Now, when you were making the purgation, I have a hard time understanding how you go from, I have this idea for a movie to mm -hmm. actually making the movie because Carlos wants to make a movie. Well, Carlos, you should definitely make a movie. Don't let anything stop you. Um, when I first made the purgation and I was in the development phase, a lot of people were just like, hey, Elaine, you haven't even directed too many short films. Are you sure that you want to just jump right into a feature? It's a huge endeavor. And, um, you know, in retrospect, I can, I can really hear what everyone was, was saying, because it, it takes a lot out of you. It's also very expensive, and you can lose a lot of friends when you, um, you know, ask for so many favors. And that's kind of how I made the purgation happen. I had so many friends who are willing to help me produce it, um, be my actors, and donate money. And um, I, w I was so young and new to directing, I think I didn't realize how much of a sacrifice it was for all my friends to help me on this project. Mm. So I would say, Carlos, go into this knowing that you're, you're asking a lot of other people to make this dream come true. Not that it should stop you, but, you know, just, just be aware of that. You're pulling a lot of favors. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Well, that makes sense, though. Like, if you, if 
you don't really know what you're what you're getting into until you do it. And I can see how if you haven't thought of things, a lot of favors would come up. Especially because where do you get money from? You can only borrow so much and did you do a Kickstarter? I did Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. Um because I think it's one of those uh, fundraisers where you get to keep a larger percentage of what you raise. Oh, okay. And then I had two private donors who, um, I'm, I'm a really shy person, so it was That's actually kind of hard for me to ask them to donate, but oh. I'm really glad I did. And I pushed myself to do that um, because after I was able to distribute the movie, we had a really good return on investment ROI. So I was able to you know, essentially pay back those two investors. Excellent. Um, Carlos, I don't know if you're planning on directing a horror movie, but I recommend that genre because you have a higher chance of making your money back. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. It seems like an easier like uh, gateway to start uh, in film in general is to start through horror. Yeah, whether it's going through investors or trying to go because uh, up in Canada we can submit to the government for for funding too, right? So I'm not sure the differences between going through private investors or, or that, but uh, that, that might be cool. Yeah, um, we don't have that many government-funded um, programs here in the States, so that's fabulous that you have that opportunity. Uh, and I'm assuming you don't have to pay back the government? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Like, I haven't fully looked into that part yet. Do you plan to make any more horror movies? The Purgation? That that was a very well-thought-out th- movie. It, we were confused and have... And, some of us have to go back and rewatch it because you didn't know what Chris and I were talking about. But there's a lot of thought-provoking stuff there. Do you think you'd make a, a continuation? Um, I'm definitely going to make another horror movie. I think The Brigation has, um, has a good ending in the sense that I don't want to pursue it anymore because those children have been laid to rest. Right. But... Um, yeah, I'm working on a screenplay right now called uh, Chasing um, Madeline, and it's it's a horror movie that's kind of a dystopian thriller I'm developing with my friend Miriam, and um, I'm excited to hopefully get that off the ground soon. I love dystopian movies. Mm-hmm. It's great. I'm glad you said that. I was afraid that since we're kind of living in a dystopian future right now, uh, people <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't really like the idea, but... Um, yeah, I, I got the idea during the pandemic, which we are still in, and it just, it, it's something I had to write. I think a lot of horror fans, we tend to look for movies based on what we're going through, because part of it is a coping measure, because a lot of us have anxiety, so we use horror to cope. So for sure, I've been watching as many pandemic dystopian horror films as possible right now. Yeah, um, 2020 was the first time I saw Contagion, which I... Which scared me even more than. (laughs) (laughs) But I agree with you, Kimberly. I feel like um, I I love horror because it's a way to kind of see other people experiencing a life worse than yours. Right, for sure. Well, I mean, it depends too on what kind of dystopian thing you're planning on making. Is it going to be kind of like a grindhouse sort of fun uh, kind of movie, or is it going to be more cerebral and like thought provoking where like it could? trigger you if if you are going through anxieties through this stuff right right it takes place in the near future and my idea was that the world has become so polluted um it's set in los angeles where 
we you know, have a lot of forest fires and I'm just imagining maybe just 20 years in the future, it's gotten so bad and we have so much smog from all the forest fires that people have to wear these personal air purifiers whenever they go into public. Okay. I'm hoping that's not triggering because it's essentially, you know, a movie where people are wearing face masks all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the, that's the setting I'm kind of envisioning. Okay. Instead of a pandemic, it's, it's a world decimated by pollution. Mm-hmm. I would for sure watch that movie. I I don't I wouldn't find that triggering at all. I mean, that's exactly what I would watch right now. Really. Well, I I meant, I meant more in the tone of it, like like uh, when I watch dystopian movies, I, I look for two different things. It depends on the mood I'm in, obviously, but it's like I'll watch uh, Turbo Kid for if I just want some fun and have a good time, or if I'm looking for something serious that I can think about after, I'll watch something else like Contagion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the tone it's kind of um similar to drag me to hell in the sense that it's campy and there are points where i feel like the actors are almost winking at the audience like oh we're oh. in a horror movie yeah um so yeah and i think that's because i do have a comedic background i i, I love writing you know funny lines for actors and um i think a part of me just can't take stuff too seriously yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good it sounds like it'll be fun though yeah, I'm excited for it. I mean, I directed Purgation almost five years ago, so I think it's time. Um, since then, oh, I've yeah. directed a bunch of like short films, and I've done commercials and music videos. But a feature, you know, as you know, Carlos, it's it's a whole different beast. I like to. I, I watched uh, the short that you followed up uh, Purgation with the the Maniki Nico. Um, that and, it, and I kind of like how you left it so like not easy answers by the end of it. It's kind of like open ended. And the sort like in a way, it's similar to the ending of Purgation. So, like, is that something you're like kind of your style? Like, you're going to be sticking with, or is that just story by story? It's going to be different. That's a great question. You know, a lot of um, critics and people who did not like Purgation complained a lot about how confusing the ending was. So, I'm actually trying to be a lot more um, clear when I write endings now because I, I want to leave the audience more satisfied and not confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, with this new film, I have a I have a pretty solid ending where almost everything is explained. And <laughs> I'm gonna give that a try now, just to see if that's more satisfying. I like the end of the purgation. I like to have to think about what just happened. I liked having to watch it again and work it through. Because sometimes endings are so to the point that it's that can make it unsatisfying. Where you're like, oh, well, that's it. It's over? But yours is like, wait, what? Is he dead? What just happened? I love that. I'm glad you love that. Thanks for saying that, Kimberly. Um, Yeah, I mean, the ending was satisfying to me. And I think, you know, Carlos, this is probably something you should think about. Do you want to make yourself happy or do you want to make your audience happy? That's true. That's true. Um, And I I think it depends on the audience, too, like that you're shooting for, because um, if you're going for like film fans, they are more likely to want to dig into what was the, what the meaning of the movie was and and they're more willing to connect all the dots and the pieces and that you've given them whereas if you're just going for something crowd friendly uh yeah they kind of just want the answers right <laughs> oh yeah 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 that's a very good point actually so just 
thinking about all the critics that wrote reviews, almost all of the critics that were straight up horror critics, they actually did like the movie. It's uh, the more broad, you know, critics that were confused and right. had more to say. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That, that makes sense. The perspective. I think it, horror fans really like, like we like to be able to dig into something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, especially like, I just, pardon the pun. I want to get to the guts of it. <laughs> like I, I want to, <laughs> I want to be able to like to tear it apart and see the inside of it and track it and follow it and see the universe that's being built around it and through it and within it. And, and I thought, um, Purgation did a, for me, a fantastic job, the way that everything was just, it was a nice slow burn story. And it had a lot of really well laid out twists. The visuals were just like, are stunning. Um, Everything that was done in the, like in the basement and the, um, in the asylum, visually, it was just, it was incredibly stunning. Um, I really want to know about the, um, the Blacklight Tiger painting that you kept cutting to. I can't quite figure out the significance of that piece, but <laughs> overall it was just like, it was a, a visually stunning movie. And I, I, we've Kimberly and I have had, um, had a nice chat about our interpretations of the ending prior to, um, to your coming on. And it's, I love things like that. that can just open up conversation and provide differing opinions and, you know, give all kinds of, um, like different potential interpretations, which may or may not be exactly what you had intended. Right. Wow. You have a really good attention to detail. You're the first person that noticed that tiger. Um, you cut to it like three times. How could nobody else have noticed it? <laughs> no one else mentioned it, but um, yeah, my, my art director, um, she drew all that graffiti by hand. She, she was amazing. And um, I, I chose the tiger because that was the mascot of my high school back in Wisconsin. And it just awesome. kind of made sense that, um, you know, in the story I set up that this abandoned insane asylum was a place where all teenagers would hang out and get drunk and do drugs. Oh, so okay. Then, you know, they would draw graffiti and, you know, the high school mascot would be fair game. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm. Yeah. And the cinematography, I have to say thank you to John. Um, he was our director of photography and he is just, um, he's amazing. I, I, I hope to do more projects with him. He's shot some of my commercials, actually. So I do like working with him. He's a man of few words and he expresses himself, you know, through the camera. Um, but yeah, Carlos, I definitely m- recommend finding a, a good uh, cinematographer for your horror movie. <laughs> yeah, that seems like it's like a, one of the biggest, <laughs> most important steps, right? It's Do you have anyone movie. in mind already? Or is that something you're still like in the I'm stage? St- of I'm still trying to figure all that out because I don't really have that many connections up here. Uh, so it all depends on what, what I do for funding and stuff, right? who I can get or who I can talk to. Definitely. Well, I can actually make some recommendations when you get to that stage. Um, I've been lucky enough to work with some crews from Toronto who shot in Los Angeles. So I know a couple camera guys. Oh, really? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, crews from Toronto have been the friendliest people I've ever worked with compared to (laughs) crews. I think it's, I I know it's a stereotype of the Canadian politeness, which I appreciate. (laughs) We've covered that a couple times on this show. <laughs> sure, it's a stereotype. These people, even when they're being pretty rude, you're like, oh, I mean, yeah, I, I get you're upset, but that's nice. It's very, <laughs> this is the most pleasant argument I've ever had. Okay, mm-hmm. this is nice. 
So, um, Elaine, if you if you had like a dream of somebody you'd like to work with, who would that be? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I would love to work with Aquafina. Um, she, oh, Aquafina. Yeah, she's a former rapper, now actress, and I, I love her style. And she seems like someone that I could just enjoy hanging out with um, mm-hmm. as a friend. And I think that's very important, you know, when you when you choose people you want to work with, you're going to be on set for 12 plus hours. So right. you want to be with someone that you could be your friend, who could be your friend. Yeah. Our last conversation we had with, that was the last filmmaker, Patrick, he was telling us about that the culture on a set could be terrible. And you have to have somebody that's on your side just to make it through. And I never even thought of that. It just didn't occur to me at all, but it makes sense. You spend a lot of time together with these people and whoever they are is who they are. So I guess it makes sense that when you can control that to control it with people that you're comfortable with and that work well with you. Yeah, I mean, that is the beauty of independent film. You have more creative control and you can hire people that you want to be around. Um, you know, for my day job, I work as an editor. And before that, I, you know, was a production assistant. And then I worked as an uh, AD mm-hmm. for, you know, television. And it's it's different because you get thrown into, you know, these jobs where it's a bunch of strangers. But after working together for like 12 plus hours a day, you, you become a family. And I think that's one thing I do love about the film industry. That's excellent. This is the number one place for macabish cults, classics, and horrors. For synopsis, reviews, and news, go to macabish.com. Thank you for listening. Signing out until the next one.